Support comes from Mosby Building Arts, a design-build company committed to remodeling the right way. Visit callmosby.com to get project inspiration for any room of your house. From the St. Louis Public Radio Newsroom, this is The Gateway. It's Wednesday, August 5th. I'm Wayne Pratt. A 50-year political dynasty in St. Louis has been toppled. Incumbent Lacey Clay has been defeated in Missouri's first congressional district by Cori Bush. We are at a turning point in this country as we face down unprecedented crises from COVID-19 to police brutality to out-of-control climate change, and we've decided how to move forward tonight. Bush's victory is one of several key results from yesterday's primary. We will run them down in just a bit. Also today, St. Louis Public Radio's Ryan Delaney on how the pandemic could deal a final blow to already struggling smaller colleges. There is a big upset in yesterday's Democratic primary. As St. Louis Public Radio's Chad Davis reports, Cori Bush defeated incumbent Lacey Clay in Missouri's first congressional district. Not only did Bush defeat 10-term Congressman Lacey Clay, she will likely also be the first African-American woman to represent the state. Bush won by three points Tuesday night. She ran on a progressive agenda and became a popular voice among activists in the St. Louis region after the killing of Mike Brown in 2014. She ran against Clay in 2018 but lost. Bush says the results show St. Louisans are ready for progressive reforms. Our communities have embraced a bold, fearless vision of real change where regular, everyday people like us can feel it. Today, the people won. Bush's favorite to win in November and will face off against Republican Anthony Rogers. I'm Chad Davis, St. Louis Public Radio. Bush's win ends a 50-year political dynasty. Lacey Clay has held that congressional spot for 20 years. Before that, his father, William Clay, had the seat for three decades. Another closely watched race was for St. Louis County Executive Sam Page won the Democratic primary over three opponents. St. Louis Public Radio's Jason Rosenbaum reports the win is a big step toward Page serving two more years in office. Page defeated Mark Montabani, Jake Zimmerman, and Jamie Tolliver in the Democratic primary. It was a campaign that featured Page defending his response to the COVID-19 pandemic and changing government since Steve Stenger resigned amid corruption charges. Despite some heavy criticism lobbed at him through television ads and social media, Page said on Tuesday that he's ready to move forward. For my part, I can say that the campaign battles are all finished and the punches are thrown and forgotten. All differences are put aside so that we can work together through a pandemic and an economic recovery, leaving no one behind. Page will face Republican Paul Berry III in the general election. Since St. Louis County has trended toward Democrats, Page will be favored in November. I'm Jason Merzenbaum. St. Louis Public Radio. St. Louis Circuit Attorney Kim Gardner is a step closer to a second term. Gardner, the first black woman elected prosecutor in the city, beat Mary Pat Carl. Gardner says she won, quote, against all odds. You have to understand that the people overwhelmingly have said enough is enough. Enough is enough. Gardner will face Republican Daniel Strodrovsky in November. Missouri is now the 38th state to expand Medicaid. As St. Louis Public Radio's Jacqueline Driscoll reports, voters narrowly approved the constitutional amendment. An additional 250,000 Missourians will have access to health care, but the program likely won't be in place until the beginning of 2022. 
Tim McBride, the former chair of the Oversight Committee for Missouri's Medicaid program, says there have been significant gaps in coverage for thousands of people in need. You know, and it's a tough time now with the recession and COVID, and people in the gap population, the uninsured, have really struggled for a long time. I think it's really important. Though some studies suggest it could actually improve state finances, Republicans remain skeptical. They say they will likely need to make cuts or consider raising taxes in the 2021 legislative session. In Jefferson City, I'm Jacqueline Driscoll, St. Louis Public Radio. In other news, people in St. Louis in danger of being evicted now have more time to seek financial aid. St. Louis Circuit Court Judge Rex Burleson has an agreement with Sheriff Vernon Betts to temporarily stop evictions. Burleson wants to ensure families have time to apply for government and private assistance. The coronavirus has been especially hard on higher education. It, of course, had to shut down in the middle of spring semester. Colleges had to issue refunds on thousands of dollars of tuition. The pandemic may deal a final blow to smaller colleges, which were already on uncertain ground. St. Louis Public Radio's Ryan Delaney reports on how these storied schools dotting rural Missouri and Illinois plan to survive. A college campus always feels a little empty in the middle of the summer. On a recent day at Westminster College in Fulton, Missouri, the chapel bells chime for the birds and the grounds crews. But in the middle of a global pandemic, there's a real question of whether students will keep coming back to small campuses like this. Don Lofi is the interim president of Westminster. He's confident they will. We feel we provide a unique experience. Not many colleges are going to say that, but we've been able to demonstrate that with actions. Higher education is suffering due to rising costs and a smaller youth population to recruit from. A dozen small colleges have closed around the country in the last two years, including McMurray College in Jacksonville, Illinois. It announced its closure this spring after 174 years. The college blamed the pandemic in part. Robert Kelchin is a professor at Seton Hall University who studies higher ed finances. He says the pandemic will accelerate closures. I don't expect a mass extinction of small private colleges, but we may see several years' worth of closures in just a few weeks or months. These institutions have survived their fair share of global conflicts, pandemics, and economic downturns. In Canton, Missouri, even a tornado on graduation day back in 2003 didn't shut down Culver Stockton College. New President Douglas Palmer acknowledges any big aspirations he had when hired in early February may need to wait. I would not expect Uh, that many colleges and universities in the area uh, or even in the country are going to be doing a whole lot of hiring uh, or investment in capital projects until we uh, until we're through this this crisis. He's focused on keeping enrollment at 1100 students and paying professors. Uh, I think it's been harder here and I think it will continue uh, to be hard. On the other end of town, back in Fulton, William Woods University is attracting new students in online and degree completion programs, says board member Dan Westhues. A lot of young people want to go to the urban centers, uh, and so recruiting them into rural, particularly here in rural Missouri, to go to a university can be a challenge. 
He says it's pushed them to get creative and try to evolve, but some analysts say it'll take more. They suggest schools need to merge to save expenses. Gary Stoker is a former Westminster College administrator who now analyzes the fiscal health of colleges. He started a website called College Viability, where he looks at financial indicators and trends, such as graduation rates and cash reserves. And you see some really, really ugly numbers. Stoker says several schools are operating on the margins or in the red, relying on alumni donations rather than steady tuition payments. These small rural colleges are not profitable enough year in and year out to be able to have long-term viability. And there were predictions this spring that fall enrollments would be down up to 20%. So far, those worst-case predictions haven't happened. William Woods, Culver Stockton, and Westminster all plan to reopen their campuses this fall. Westminster's Lofi argues his and other small schools still hold a valuable place in higher ed. The liberal arts education gives you the ability to think. Think just not analytically, but creatively. And those are words, but they're really, uh, I believe in those very strongly. And I believe this type of education, this type of institution provides that. It's a tradition Lofi and other college leaders hope will keep attracting students to their campuses long after this pandemic has ended. I'm Ryan Delaney, St. Louis Public Radio. Our Maria Altman edited that report. Shula Newman is the executive editor of St. Louis Public Radio, music by Ryan McNeely of Adult Verb. I'm Wayne Pratt from the St. Louis Public Radio newsroom. This has been The Gateway. comes from Mosby Building Arts, a design-build company committed to remodeling the right way. Visit callmosby.com to get project inspiration for any room of your house.